This is Stereoactive Presents. I'm your host, Jeremiah McVeigh. And in this episode, I'm joined by Charles Henshaw to discuss the latest installment in the Mission Impossible franchise, Dead Reckoning Part 1. We'll also discuss the ongoing strikes by members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, the unions that represent writers and actors working in film and television. Charles happens to be a member of SAG-AFTRA, so he'll offer his particular perspective as part of our conversation. So I am here with Charles Hinshaw. Chuck, thanks for joining me here again. I'm glad to have you back finally. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, so since it has been a while and we've been hoping to make this more regular thing, and maybe we will after this, um, but I wanted to see kind of what you've been watching this year. Because we, uh, the last time we got together, you, Jackie and I, we talked about uh, the Oscars for last year and a lot of what we'd been watching since our old show that we used to do together. So mm. what are your favorite movies of the year so far? I don't know. Well, what are some you've been watching, then, <laughs> if that's easy? Yeah, I've really been watching older movies, and I haven't seen much this year off the top of my head. I recently rewatched the original All Quiet on the Western Front. I love that. And I've been watching stuff from that time period, the 1930 uh, some silent stuff. And then also I've gotten into, which is very uh, kind of typical of the modern age. I got way into uh, movie reactors on YouTube. And oh, yeah. I don't know if. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a fun way to watch like your favorite movies in 45 minutes. Um. And tell and me about that. I, I I actually haven't engaged with that. So tell me what that's like. It's almost a guilty pleasure because it seems so silly, like why it's interesting. But basically, these people are watching movies for the first time that, you know, mm-hmm. in my case, and I think a lot of people's cases, we've seen over and over and over again, stuff like Apollo 13 and the Matrix and Happy Gilmore. And I mean, it's a lot of 90s stuff. There's a lot of nostalgia it's a lot of um, just like hits and classics, you know, new mm-hmm. classics or whatever that for whatever reason, these people haven't seen them. And it's kind of fun to watch people get psyched about stuff that you're psyched about. Uh, right. And I and from an edit from an editing standpoint and like a technical standpoint, I do find it really interesting to see how because most of them are set up so that they have a YouTube version, which is like usually around 45 minutes where they cut up the movie. And then if you want to see the full reaction, you mm-hmm. buy their Patreon. I do a lot of like watching in the background uh, yeah. at the moment. And so that's really ideal for that. And then, you know, the 30s movies are really ideal because they're like all the same movie. And it's just kind of <laughs> it's just kind of interesting to have that play and and kind of just be in that vibe. But there hasn't been much released that I've been that interested in seeing. Um, really? You know, I, I wanted to see Past Lives. That's like the one movie that I was like, oh, I'm curious to see that. Yeah. But I didn't actually go. Yeah, heard <laughs> things about that. It seems like a lot of other things have been sequels. Oh, John Wick 4. I saw that. Yeah. I like right. that. A lot of other stuff has been like sequels and stuff that I'm just not like I didn't see Guardians because I kind of bailed on Marvel. There just hasn't been much that's caught my interest. I mean, I understand that. Like I've, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, part of it for me is that like I just don't have the ability to get out as much. I have, you know, a kid and, you know, <laughs> so that that really like. Uh, right, right. Lowers your chances of getting out to see a movie <laughs> as often as like we used to go to see movies yeah. for the old podcast we used to work on. But um, I did see a handful of things uh, other than Mission Impossible, which is the movie we're mainly going to be talking about in this episode. Um, I think my favorite two movies of the year so far are Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which mm-hmm. I liked a whole lot. I mean, it's like the most Wes Anderson-y movie, maybe. So, like, bear <laughs> sure. that in mind. Um, 
And then Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I thought it was really fun right. and really well made. But also has a thing that we'll talk about similar to Mission Impossible of like it's really part one of a story mm-hmm. and <laughs> kind of leaves you hanging. So sure. we'll get to that. Um, okay. I also saw John Wick 4. I feel like I need to see it again because I saw it with an audience. It was a little distracting and I felt like I was never able to like really sink into the movie in that way that you want to, where you're just like in mm. it and, you know, experiencing it. I was always sort of what like was aware distra- of were people talking, people who stuff? were just kind of talking and, and like getting up and walking in and out of the movie theater a lot. It was very <laughs> obnoxious. Um, oh, it was a rowdy crowd. Um, yeah. so, that, so, you know, that takes you out of it and it, it, it's not the fault of the movie. I'm sure it was better than the experience I had. So like I said, I'd like to see that again. Um, yeah. I thought Guardians, I, I saw that one, Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's probably, this. I know this isn't saying much, but it's probably the best Marvel movie uh, of the last few years because they have been kind of trash since Endgame or at least mm-hmm. diminishing returns, if not trash. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but, and again, like I don't think, this installment of Guardians is as good as the first two, but I do think it's better than, like I said, the other Marvel movies that have been out lately. Wasn't uh, Ant Man this year? Too? Yeah, I didn't Ant-Man even bother Man with that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even bother with Ant Man because the the word on that one was just like so abysmal. Like I just <laughs> yeah. it was like, I'm not gonna bother. Like I have too many other things to do with my life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but. The other two movies I saw from 2023, other than Mission Impossible, um, were Blackberry and Air. So, you know. Oh, yeah. The Attack of the Brands. Brands the movie franchise or something, whatever. Um, Yeah. But Blackberry was pretty good. Air, I found a little flat. That was not supposed to be a pun. Yeah. but, yeah, no, yeah. I was curious about Air, and uh, I I just got that sense of, you know, despite the fact that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are sort of painting themselves as these auteurs of, of the Hollywood mm-hmm. system, I sort of, it seemed really kind of cookie cutter, and, and uh, I wasn't really like that feverish to see it because of that yeah i think it's worth watching on video um if it i'm sure it's available already i i, I haven't checked right. because i like i said i saw in theaters and mm-hmm. it was kind of a letdown like it, it was it was weird it always seemed like they were in a sketch but not funny but i kept <laughs> expecting them to try to be funny so it's just like very weird to watch like i just couldn't take it seriously and i do sure. think the fact that it's Sort of about Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan is not a character in it. Is like I, the way they do it, I thought was distracting um, mm. in a way that if everything else in the movie was working, that wouldn't have taken me out of it. But because other parts of the movie weren't working as fully as I thought they could, uh, it did. You know, so I just that didn't work for me. Uh, but Blackberry, I thought I thought was a better version of this like recent trend of movies about like nostalgia brands for our generations you know uh or whatever you want to call them right and and i think the reason that it was more interesting is because it's about a failed one whereas like air Mm. is like about a giant success and uh tetris i didn't see that movie i've I've heard it's pretty good but like i've heard that similarly it's kind of like about something that succeeded in a way so maybe the dramatic tension isn't as great as like with something with Blackberry. And I got to say, Glenn Howerton was pretty damn good in it, too. Like a, mm. kind of a surprising turn from him in a way. Well, why don't we move on? I do want to talk to you before we get to Mission Impossible uh, about the strikes that are happening right now as we're recording this. Like the uh, the WGA has been on strike for a little while now. And then SAG-AFTRA, the actor's union went on strike last week as we're recording this and you happen to be a member of SAG-AFTRA so I'm particularly interested in your point of view but also just like generally about what this has to say about this medium that we both are fans of and like to right. to indulge in and sometimes participate in in ways <laughs> yeah 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 
Well, uh, from the actor, from like the union member standpoint, it was inter- it was an interesting ride because way before there was a strike, there were rumors that there might be a strike. Right. And then uh, President Fran Drescher sent out a video uh, with uh, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, I believe is his name. They mentioned that negotiations were going well. Things right. seemed to be going well. And then a bunch of actors sent this letter being like, don't give up, you know, don't give anything. Like, don't tell us it's going well when we need you to fight for us, blah, blah, blah. And now the line is, it's, you know, corporate greed is taking over and we need to strike in order to stem that tide. Mm -hmm. I'm not on the inside of any of it. Uh, I'm not even, I mean, the strike is supposedly for jobbing actors and would probably benefit me. I voted to strike or to give authorization to strike uh, because I'm like pro-union and pro-strike and pro-people sort of doing what they got to do to get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I heard about this AI thing, they were t- the studios were pitching like that they you would essentially eliminate the need for background actors. Yeah. Um, yeah. That seemed really egregious. <laughs> and... To say the least, yeah. And insane that they would think that anybody would be okay with that. Um. <laughs> and they didn't they kind of pitch it as like some big solution? I think so, yeah. I think they saw they saw it as like, you know, I in a way it seems like the the studios and the streamers don't aren't considering the jobbing actor and they are just like, well, you'll still have your stars, you know, you'll still have right. your, and your, and your talk, your, you know, your under fives and your, your co-stars and all this stuff. It's, but they don't think about where I saw an interview with uh, Kira Sedgwick uh, uh, where she said that, you know, the people who run these companies are tech people, not creatives. Mm-hmm. So they don't really get how it works. I don't even know if they're tech people. I think they're just money that's, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That, I mean, and that's that's part of the thing with the strike is I have to take everything I hear with a little bit of a grain of salt because I'm not in it and I'm mm-hmm. not uh, on uh, any committees or, you know, you know sure. I get like one job a year, <laughs> that kind of thing. But if that's what they're thinking of doing and that to them is reasonable, then, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know about the pay stuff like what they they claim that, you know, wages and residuals have gone down. I don't I have no way of knowing how that's true. I mean, it probably is. But yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think they're essentially the residuals for streaming are next to nothing. Right. I've seen people explain this who have experience with it where like they like one one instance was somebody who was in the pitch perfect movie i think the first one Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's not an actor and it's the only job he's ever done but he um he was recruited to be in the movie because he was in a glee club at a college nearby or something so they cast him to be somebody in one of the i guess rival um choirs or whatever whatever they are i've never seen the movie and because he they had him singing it counted his lines and he got he got a pretty healthy residual he talked about it as like he was able to pay his rent for a year while he was in grad school for for something that was like not a thing to him. He's not an actor. Like and so he was coming at it from that perspective of like if the, if this did this for me, think of somebody who this is their profession and like they're trying to make a living at it. Like it used to be something that people could make a living at. And right. then you know, I've seen that next to um people talking about like they literally get like pennies for streaming and Let's also like something we talked about on our old podcast from time to time. I think like the streamers are very opaque about their numbers. And that's yeah. part of this, that they hide how successful the films are 
so they can do like the worst version of Hollywood accounting, something that studios were already doing before streamers existed of like basically saying that any movie was a financial failure through mm. like creative accounting just so they wouldn't have to pay out on points on the back end for actors who had those kind of deals and, and residuals and stuff like that. But, you know, like in right. the streaming world, like the, the payment is already like next to nothing. And then they say like, oh, basically this movie, they, they'll they say at the same time, like, oh, it's the most popular movie we've ever had, but also we made no money off of it. You right. Know? Right. So it's like, it's just ridiculous. And yeah. like fantasy land. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it. I get that. I guess I kind of not being, you know, we don't have those numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm also not very talented in the accounting department. <laughs> so uh, I can understand from like how streaming is a different beast right. to selling tickets and selling units and stuff like that. Um, so I can understand that there's something that needs to shift as far as all that is concerned and, and and sort of adapt to the model because the model is clearly here to stay. Yeah. But it can't be one, this one-sided thing of, of like, well, we put up all this money and we don't make any because that yeah. just doesn't. Well, it's not true. To, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of people like posting about how, um, you know, like the the very numbers that they say that they w- would need to hit to meet the demands of the unions, you right. put it against any of these CEOs compensation. And it's like, well, there it is. Yeah. This person also, is taking all the money. But also they're going back to YouTube reactors. There are YouTube reactors who do that for a living. So if yeah. you can sit on YouTube and watch movies and right. react to them and make a living doing it, I don't see how somehow you're not making money. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Putting yeah. content out there. Exactly. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah, people on YouTube get a bigger cut of the pie than anybody associated with the streaming show other than, like, the top executives at the company. Right, you right. Know? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all sorts of ridiculous. There's all sorts of hypocrisy going on. I definitely think it's good that um, these people are, like, standing up for what I think they need for this industry to continue and be successful, especially in the wake of like so much distress in recent years. Right. And I also think it, it hopefully is setting some sort of goal poll or standard or whatever you want to call it for like labor as a whole, not just in the entertainment industry, but like they're not the only ones who've been striking in recent years. I think this is higher profile because it's, media related and if you watch cnn or any of these news corporations that are owned by the people who are being struck against you know like you you get these like interpretations of what's happening uh that make it seem like it's bad for the industry i don't know whatever i'm like going down a rabbit hole no yeah i i i think there's also something to be said you know actors can get very precious about what they do and there's always mm-hmm. this thing of like it's not brain surgery and all this kind of thing but it's pretty evident that entertainment is a sizable portion of our society yeah and streaming and binge watching and you know in ingesting that content is really valuable to people yeah so and and something that touches everybody, so I think it's it's also higher profile in that in that regard. Yeah, this is something I've been preaching for at least a few years now. Of like, especially around music, where because I deal with a lot of musicians um, mm-hmm. through other work I do and through stereoactive media, um, but people don't want to value it. And it also, in the case of music, I think a lot of musicians don't even know that they should value it as much as they should. Like it's something that they produce. It's something that they make and it's something that they should be compensated for. Um, And I think it's really easy for people in this day and age to be like, it's so easy for me to get this through this platform that all I have to do is pay like some small amount of money, relatively speaking per month. And I get so much content. So what's the problem? Like it it works for me, but like if that went away, if all that went away, everybody would be crying about it. 
Yeah. You know, and it's just, but people don't realize that that is like an actual possibility in a sense, I think. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe they need to be made to figure that out for themselves. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it. I, I think that's a lot of human behavior is it's one thing to be like, what if this wasn't here? It's another yeah. thing to actually take it away and right. see what happens. Exactly. So we'll see how long the strike lasts. And yeah, when we knows? get to a point where they've run out of banked content, so to speak, to, <laughs> right, right. to peddle out to people. It's just game right. shows. It's just wall-to-wall game shows. Yeah. And I do want to say also, just as sort of a disclaimer or whatever you want to call it, there's been a discussion I've seen around criticism of, of movies and television of like, is it okay? It, does that count as promotion? And like, criticism and reviewing is not promotion. You know, like, I don't think it is. No. And there, like, as long as you're kind of framing anything to do with what we're talking about i think in the way that i think we're talking about it like right i think you're being supportive of the industry that you're trying to not promote but like be enthusiastic about because at heart if you're reviewing a piece of art it's because you're a fan of the medium you yeah. know so oh, do anyway, they, like, are, is this like they want people like you to go on strike with the actors and no they don't promote? like that's what i'm saying is like some people have questioned like should they should people like me or us or people who do this like more regularly like writing for big publications or doing like bigger podcasts like should they be right. shutting down or something yeah and i think it it's been pretty well said that like that's not that's not a part of this yeah um, no so i feel like we're in the clear to talk about a movie that we like because yeah to talk about it is also to support the people who are in the movie who are on strike because um, not, or not to support them, but to like give some awareness of this thing. And if we like the movie, great. If we don't, that's what we'll say, but yeah, you know, should we get to it then? Yeah, let's get to it. Sorry if that was a, a like a long winded, confusing way of saying like, it's okay to talk about movies. Even no, though I think it's fair. I think yeah. it's fair. It's also but, not, you know, they're pretty sag is pretty clear about what they're, I mean, there are some movies they're allowing to stay in production. So it's like, the, it's not a cut and dry right. thing. Right, totally. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we're back, I will have my review of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. And then Chuck and I will talk about it. Once again, Ethan Hunt stands between the safety of the world as we know it and a shadowy conspiracy looking to upturn said world. The difference this time is that the shadowy conspiracy essentially is the world as we know it, or at least as we've constructed it digitally. It's part luck and part prescience on the part of the filmmakers that the villain of this installment of Tom Cruise's three-decade franchise is artificial intelligence, a force that has dominated much of the news in recent months. That a film which has been in the works for years could not only hit this nerve of the zeitgeist so squarely, but also at a time when people in our real world who pretend to be other people or who facilitate the made-up narratives that those people inhabit are on strike because of the constructed digital reality we now live in, along with the threat of AI, is at least mildly uncanny. And that the movie does it with the usual flair of so many practical stunts and effects, rather than going full-on CGI as so many other tentpole franchise action movies do these days, is at least mildly ironic. Just as with the other Christopher McQuarrie-directed entries in the series, the mechanics of the plot and the action set pieces bring to mind a Rube Goldberg machine that once set in motion doesn't really ever stop. And it's become pretty obvious that the action in the series, much like its younger cousin-slash-rival John Wick series, is at least partly, if not largely, inspired by silent comedy daredevils like Buster Keaton. I mean, it's hard to see an old train go over a destroyed bridge and not make some sort of connection, whether intended or not. But this one also had a bit more humor than has been present in some of the more dire recent installments. And all of this is great for any fan of action movies or of just Tom Cruise. But just as with many other big franchises lately, we'll have to wait and see if they stick the landing since it's left wide open for part two. 
And just as with those other franchises, if part two keeps up the quality of part one, or better yet, builds and improves on it, then it will have all been worth our time and money. But if part two fails to at least sustain what came before, then it will likely deflate this one in retrospect as well. From here on, we may discuss the film in a way that may contain spoilers. So if you don't want to hear anything about the movie at this time, please do skip over this part, but we hope you'll come back and listen to it at some point. So Chuck, uh, what are your thoughts initially on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? It's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. I really like the title, but I think it kind of gets undersold with the whole Part 1 thing. And... It makes me kind of think about the whole the, this this part one bit. That, the trend, you mean? Yeah, the trend. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know that I'm a fan of it. Yeah, it's it's not the greatest. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I mean, it it made sense with Dune because the whole idea was to like split the book and do it faithfully. Mm-hmm. But I had a similar feeling with this that I did with Dune, which was like, this is awesome, but it's unfinished. Yeah. And I would have, I think, enjoyed, like, you can do a movie with a cliffhanger or with, with you know, an open sort of ending to suggest a sequel without having to make it such a you know just like cut right in the middle like you know right. okay we're going to end it now and we'll tell you the rest later sort of thing um and i think i would have enjoyed something m- more like that kind of wrapped up a little bit mm-hmm. um i mean i i i loved this movie uh, i i don't have i think my criticisms are just about its inability to do what you would want it to do, which is live up to the previous one. And I just think that's kind of impossible. And the thing about it is I went into fallout with this sort of sense of, you know, the last one was really great. Rogue nation was really great. And I just think that, you know, this one's probably going to suck because how can you maintain that? Mm-hmm. And then it was it was so great, right? And so on. Um, I really lowered expectation. I was like, "There's just no way they can repeat it. They just, you can't." And um, and interestingly, I've heard you know you said in your review, and I've heard other people mention that there's more humor and levity in this one. I kind of found this one to be darker than um the previous uh Macquarie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I kind of think both things can be true, though. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's always been a li- not not so much in one and two, but since three, there's always been like these little sort of aside mm-hmm. goofy things. And I think probably Ghost Protocol like goes the most in that direction of being kind of fun and and uh, and having like silliness wrapped up in the missions. Sure. And then Fallout definitely has some somber moments and raising the stakes mm-hmm. and 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 having an emotional sort of element there. But it's I wouldn't say it was dark. I would call I feel like this one was dark mm. uh, in a way that maybe the first one is com- is comparable, but that the other ones are are not. Well, can, can I offer my take on your take? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if, if you feel like this one is darker because it's a little closer to our reality through its premise. You know, it's mm-hmm. about our digital world turning on us and AI becoming a threat, you know, an yeah. overwhelming threat. So, like, I feel like that is a more... That, that that's more reflected in our real world of the moment that this movie comes out than like whatever Fallout was about. Like Fallout was a ton of fun. Yeah. Great action movie. And I'm not saying it doesn't have some connection to reality, but like I think it was more tenuous or more removed, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And it's pretty standard like nuclear weapons 
you know, someone's going to blow up a nuclear device and they mm-hmm. got to defuse the bomb and that kind you know, I mean, that's, there's nothing that's like every action movie. Right. Since, you know, the nineties or whatever. But, uh, so yes, I do think there is something to be said for the connection to our real world and kind of making something that's scary in our real world, the villain and the scary element of the new one. But um, to go into a spoiler, I think showing Ethan lose someone in the way that he does right. is a, a real like shift mm-hmm. in the in the series. Right. And um, I saw a review where someone criticized the decision as like, you know, best act or best actress, lead actress swapping. Um, but to me, I thought there was a very cynical way of looking at it. Like to me, sure. it, it makes sense that in order to raise the stakes, Ethan has to lose somebody. And, and I also really liked how they, showed you this process of getting recruited into the IMF through yeah. Haley Atwell's character. Right. Yeah. That, and that was kind of a new wrinkle on this whole thing. Right. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think we've seen before that it's this choice, as they call it. Right. Where, like, right. You've maybe screwed up something and are on the wrong side of the law, perhaps. And yeah. you have a choice of like, you can either come to work in this shadowy way or go to prison or whatever punishment right. might be out there for you like that's new right i'm not forgetting yeah no it's new it makes sense in terms of um luther's character because in the first movie they talk about him being this like master hacker Mm -hmm. who hacked into nato and all this kind of stuff so it it follows a line that they've sort of had of okay you're gonna bring people over Mm -hmm. um but we never really knew ethan as being that way Right. And the movie suggests that he is or he was. Right. And I guess it suggests that all of them are. Yeah. Um, and it kind of makes. To, yeah. yeah. And it also makes sense in terms of two where he like recruits the jewel thief. Uh, so um, it's right. not something new, but but to be uh, very blatant in it and to kind of show it as a process. Yeah. Is they make new. it explicit rather than yeah. hinted at. And, right. But, but like, I think what you're pointing out is that it's earned in that way, that they've like laid yeah. some breadcrumbs and whether that was ever the intention before they looked at those movies probably. And were like, this makes logical sense. Right. And we can say this based on what's happened before. And it doesn't negate that stuff. It builds off of it. Yeah. But I think that also is like, to your point about the, perhaps cynicism, perhaps not, of killing off uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character. Um, I think that that's also something that is earned. Like, there are other filmmakers who who kill off a character to establish stakes, and sometimes it, it, and it can be cynical and, and egregious, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of cases. But, like, this is a character who's been there and been important and been exciting for the last, what, th- is this her? Two. Yeah, this third? is her third, yeah. This is her third movie. Mm-hmm. And there's been like a real rapport, a real chemistry between them. Yeah. That hasn't been a pre-existing element between him and like a female lead or, or a supporting character before, really. Right. Like, it, you know, he someone, does she die in the first one? But like, we don't know her any better than no, anybody no. else. You yeah, know? no. I can't remember now. It's been a while since I watched the first one. Yeah, there was. But, I mean, he he also didn't have. I mean, she was a team member, and she betrayed yeah. him. It was, exactly. like, it was sort of a, uh, you know, a catch twenty two in a way on that one. And then yeah. you know, obviously, he had a wife and everything. But like right. she, but Rebecca Ferguson's character was his equal, mm-hmm. and and that was what was kind of exciting about it. Was and they had this really fun sort of thing where they were well she particularly was always kind of playing against him but trying not to like hurt him right and and that sort of thing that they were and i and they they developed i feel like macquarie's really interested in this because he it's mentioned in rogue nation where they start to delve into why Ethan is the way he is with things like, 
you know, uh, Jeremy Renner's character saying, like, you just want to beat the guy who beat you and sort of setting up this thing of like a psyche behind this brazenness that he has. And I thought it was a really interesting and tragic twist to have it like have to show him lose for once. Mm-hmm. And um, which then someone I read a, a review where someone was like, and he throws a woman's face against a wall and why that was necessary. And I'm just like, what is it like? She's a villain who is going to bash his head in with a pipe. I don't see why. Like, what's the it seemed kind of like white knighting. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I yeah. didn't really get it. I didn't really yeah, get what the what that. the the. Uh, why that mattered. Um, yeah, that character is clearly set up to be able to take care of herself and yeah. be able to to withstand that fight. And that doesn't really damage her all that much. You know? No. Like, and he I needs know. to Other people a- have suffered worse, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it Yeah, that seemed like such an odd thing yeah. to me. Um, but, but it was... I really appreciated that whole sequence um, mm-hmm. with him being trapped and her fighting and I and you knew it was coming like I mean it doesn't it's not really a surprise I, I wasn't that surprised I was like they're gonna kill her yeah. uh but it was still meaningful when it happened well I, I want to come back to the shadowy conspiracy here the the entity <laughs> yeah the, the AI entity that yeah. is the real um villain behind the scenes I guess mm-hmm. you could call it um like what did you think of of the uh the portrayal of this. I think it's a smear campaign against AI. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I meant more like the the portrayal on screen, like the way that they presented it, like the, the visual well, it representation. Like and um, the yeah. like, kind of like rumbling growl it had at, some, at a certain point. Yeah. I didn't totally get it. Like I didn't yeah. <laughs> totally get from the beginning. I didn't understand where it was. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand who was controlling it. I didn't understand how the party was its party, like it's Blofeld or something. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. Hey, you're in the same boat as the characters in the movie. You don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wasn't a hundred percent on like how it worked and yeah. this whole thing of like, whoever holds the key controls it. Right. Like, okay, fair enough. But it seems to be doing shit without the key. So I don't like what's the I mean, well, no, I think yeah. the key gives you control over it right, right now. It's out of right. control. Right. OK. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you get to harness it and rein it in. And so it's in it's the trying... submarine. Right. That's where it is. I guess so. That yeah. that wasn't really clear until the end where they seem right. to be saying that. Like before, I thought it was just that it was attacking the submarine and right. for some reason they had the key for this. I don't know. It's, it's oh yeah. Okay. Like so it attacks it the submarine so that it can do. Well, it attacks it the submarine because it, it will, first of all, it is the submarine, but it's attacking right. itself yeah. to free itself. Right. Right. I guess <laughs> I didn't, I mean that I, I, that was the part that I was not, there was a lot going on in the movie, and I thought there was plenty to like grab onto. Yeah, I think if they didn't have some of the other elements they had to grab onto, I would be like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> I yeah. don't know what yeah. is going on." I mean, this is the kind of stuff that like you can kind of hand wave over because yeah. you're, the rest of the movie is working, so you can be right. like, "I'll let this go." Like, yeah, I don't need to understand this. And there's this part too; they'll explain it maybe if it needs to be explained. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not like they, you know, I think I read something where they point out that that the the diabolical plot has never really been the point yeah. with these movies. Yeah, it's um, always MacGuffins. Yeah, you usually. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's either MacGuffins or it's like really simple, you know, it's like nuclear weapons or, you know, classified files or yeah. something. You know, just like shit that like does is not as important as how they get from point A to point, how they get yeah, back. Yeah, it's just it's that. just a thing that starts the mechanism working of right. the plot and the stunts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I but I, I do think they've gotten better in a way of like hiding or obscuring. Maybe is the better word the mm-hmm. uh, that that's there. You know, mm-hmm. like 
I, th- I think with Fallout, they really hit their stride. And with this one, we'll see once part two comes out. I feel like so much hinges on it does. the success of that movie. It really does. But and, and the other thing with the entity, of course, is that it has this sort of like they call it the the messiah of of the entity, right? The Gabriel mm-hmm. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a real person who is sort of a ghost in the world because the entity is constantly erasing him from the digital um, surveillance and all this. I, uh, I was a little more on the fence about this character than I've heard some other people who were like, were like really into this actor who I've seen in other things. Um, But like, I I was kind of surprised he was in like, I don't know. This seems like almost somebody I don't want to sound mean, but someone <laughs> like hitting above their weight class. Does that make sense? It does. I really like Isai Morales. I always knew his name, but couldn't have pointed him out to you until Ozark. I really liked him in that. I thought he was really like good at being menacing. Yeah. Um, and I and I appreciated that part of him in this movie. I read that originally it was going to be Nicholas Holt, which I am like, no, I don't know. Well, I've got an alternative casting for you based on okay. my uh, my misseeing because like you know when these trailers come out for these big movies sometimes mm-hmm. like the only thing you see is like a split second sure. shot of of somebody yeah I could have swore the first time I saw a trailer for this that it was Antonio Banderas oh sure like it was like just you know dark lit you know yeah whatever in the like high angle or something I was like oh going back to interview with a vampire. Here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think he would have been good as, as this villain character. And I'm not saying that, that uh, what's his name? Isai Isai Morales. Yeah. Isai Morales. Uh, I'm not saying he's bad or anything. Like, I think he's another element for me that, like, it depends on what happens in part two. Like, sure. I'm not quite sure yet. I don't think he's know? fully formed. And, and yeah. you have this weird connection between him and Ethan from the past that's mm-hmm. totally just like, Oh, by the way, there's this little bit. We'll get yeah. to it in the yeah, next yeah, yeah. one. Uh, they just don't go really far in. And the woman talking about like people who look alike. At first, I thought the woman who was killed in his past was Haley Atwell. Because I thought I they looked so similar. Yeah. And then he runs and, into her and there's, there's like no recognition. I'm like, oh, I guess that's a totally different actress. He's <laughs> definitely got a type. because <laughs> Brunettes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. like strikingly beautiful brunettes. Yeah. Um, he's got a type. He's got a type. A type for platonic love. <laughs> yeah, a type for like... That's the other thing that's interesting about these movies is like he refuses to engage in any romance. But I feel like there's a, the suggestion of romance with Rebecca Ferguson's character. They sort just of. don't go... Because they, they like, you know, cuddle or whatever in Venice. They yeah. just don't go the full like, let's have a sex scene or whatever. Right. Um, but I feel like there's that suggestion that uh I couldn't tell if it was full on suggesting that, that they have a relationship or mm-hmm. that it could be headed there or that they're just like that close somehow and it's not sexual. It could be. Yeah, it could I be. I don't know. But yeah. but these are sexless movies in a big I way, know, which I know. is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um they, they it is because there's not y- Usually, there is, especially in the spy genre, yeah, that's like a big part of it. Uh, and yeah, it's just not, it's not on the radar. It's not on, it's not what Ethan Hunt cares about, you know. Well, it isn't, it isn't because, <laughs> like, I do think that's another thing that they've set up, especially since I think, uh, part three, right, where he, his, his, um, motivation through so much of these movies is to keep and he states it in this is to keep the people around him safer than he keeps himself right and that includes like um that includes his i guess ex-wife I, yep. I, are they technically ex or is he is she like sort of yeah like they're actually a widow you know but right, well um, she's married to another guy so i know maybe she's um, a bigamous <laughs> she might be <laughs> i don't know yeah um but yeah, like that is so much of his motivation is that he had this experience where he put her into danger yeah, or got, you know, she got sucked into the danger and he's sort of swore that he's never going to let that happen again. And part of that seems to be that he's a monk. Essentially. Right. 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 You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. 
it's just not the same level of of sexuality that you get in most and certainly in bond or even yeah. it's even more sexless than the daniel craig bonds which is saying a lot yeah. <laughs> about right, right. uh right. so yeah but i think it's cool i think it's nice that they it doesn't it doesn't need it yeah yeah i don't miss it or anything it's yeah. just it's something worth remarking on sometimes yeah i think just, so it's noticeable sometimes for sure um yeah and one one thing i do want to ask about is i like shea wiggum as an actor he's he's mm -hmm. someone who like i he grew on me eventually like there i think because of like the early parts i saw him in he was always this like character that i didn't like so i just thought i didn't like him as an actor you know you ever have <laughs> sure that happen? yeah yeah totally but eventually i came to respect i was like oh this guy's this guy's good he's solid he's and I like seeing him pop up and stuff. But what the fuck is this character? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like so like it seems tangential. I'm I'm hoping it's another thing that is gonna sort of like uh get figured out in the second movie because yeah. there seems to be some history. Like there's that implication that from from his partner at one point who he's, he says like he asks them um something about is it personal? And he, I don't I don't remember what it was, but it's there's something to to hint that there's some personal connection or something. Yeah. Oh, he says, like, do you know him personally? I yeah. Think. And he says right. no, but and he says, but it is personal, right? Right, he, right. Like right. he doesn't really answer, but he doesn't really answer in that way that it's clear that it's a yes. Yeah. Right. I think that right. was the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? What do you think of his character? Where do you think I don't know? Going? It seems like they're setting up this um sort of group of internal agents that can be on Hunt's side while Kittredge and others are always trying to screw him over. Mm -hmm. That's what it seemed like. By the end of the movie, that's what it seemed like they were doing. Right. Um, that they were setting up and that perhaps the larger sort of story will be about you know, this kind of fundamental restructuring of the government agency overseeing the IMF and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, which tends to be what each movie is kind of about. But they're, they're like, yeah. uh, they It's just funny how much they it. repeat some of these things. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. It, it, um, I mean, he's been like, like Ethan Hunt's been rogue pretty much. Pretty much every, every time. time. Except two. I think two's the only time he wasn't really that rogue. But but, yeah. but that's the thing is like in this movie they kind of explain that away of like mm -hmm. they are rogue by nature like right they don't right. exist yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah they're the people that you you hope will pick up your call and like do something for you when you don't know how to do it yourself yeah so I don't know there's there's an element of of that that you are just rogue you're out there in the wind just waiting for someone to right. need you right so it really is a um it's funny because have you ever heard of Neil Breen. I've heard of, yes. So um, I, through movie reactors, I got introduced to Neil Breen, or the Breenverse, as it's called. And Neil Breen is like, for those who don't know, which is probably all of you, uh, <laughs> makes horrendous movies. And I, I don't know if all of them do, but certainly like one of the most famous ones, which is called Fateful Findings, which is the one I saw a YouTube reactor react to is all about like government conspiracies and shit. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the end of it, I was like, this is like an alt-right wet dream. Because it's all about like government agencies being like, yep, we're liars, and then killing themselves. And that's right. like the end of the movie. Um, but somebody made the joke that that opening scene in the, off the CIA office was like a Neil Breen scene. Because it was mm -hmm. just like, jargon 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 you know buzzword buzzword government conspiracy buzzword blah 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 and i do kind of feel like macquarie got a little like dialogue happy in this one yeah i i that was one place where i i enjoyed the scene and i typically enjoy that kind of scene e even though it really base makes absolutely no sense <laughs> right because add not, i'm not even talking about the jargon just like the way they finish each other's sentences i'm like this is so rehearsed 
Like, did these people all go into another conference room and like work it out before they went into the boss? Like, right, right. Like, they, it's it's just like insane. That's yeah, not how anyone talks. And it didn't. I don't know that it added anything because it again explains what the IMF is, yeah. which is like it's the seventh movie, man. We know. <laughs> I know, but it did. That is where they gave the new wrinkle, though. I think of mm-hmm. like I I didn't understand that they're basically like right, the the whole ghost thing. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So That's I thought Kittrich's explanation uh, was good. I also just enjoyed seeing I, I, what's that comedian's name? John Delaney. Oh yeah, Rob. Name? Rob it, Delaney. Rob Delaney. Yeah, I'm mixing him up with John Mulaney. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. But yeah, Rob Delaney. Just in this. Like, I know that was so role. random. It was very funny. It was funny, uh, and I and I thought about it afterwards because I. What's funny about this movie is it's it's so much movie that the beginning feels like a different movie from the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, Rob Delaney was in it. And he just, like, was never in it again. He was just in that one scene, which is so yeah. random. And that's the real thing that needs to come back in part two. Like, <laughs> yes. if he's not back yeah, in the movie. It's all a failure. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Just to bring it back quickly to that point, though, of, like, mm-hmm. the part one, part two thing. Like, I I, I wanted to say, uh, sort of in reaction to what you said earlier at the start of our conversation, I guess. Like, I, so some of them that have happened in recent years there's i think uh avengers infinity war going into Endgame. right um there is recently I, as i mentioned earlier in the episode uh the new spider-verse movie that mm-hmm. is one of those that just like all right come back for the rest <laughs> like yeah it's very much it reminded me so much of dune where like mm-hmm. i'm like well i liked that but i hope it was good i won't know <laughs> right, for a right. few years yeah uh, it's like watching <laughs> half a movie yeah um in dune of course and i feel like there's another one i'm forgetting right now um probably but yeah it, it is like a weird trend i i guess like everything's got this Hollywood has go, gone so sort of maximalist mm-hmm. sure. that there's, there's a way in which it makes sense that this was like the end game, not to <laughs> right make a pun make a- about it, but of, of like th- the movies were too big for one movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it is just like a little deflating every time I get to the end of part one and I'm like, all right. I'm invested in this. Right, like it would have right. been nice to have some more sense of resolution before having to wait for the rest. Yeah. You know? I agree. So I think it's an it's a it's a big gamble. Too. It's a big gamble and it's an interesting experiment. I don't know that it is paying off. Um mm-hmm. because I yeah, I feel like it's sort of and I think the maximalism is also a trend that I'm not like, I don't know that I needed this movie to be as long as it is. And, right. and I feel like that started when dark Knight rises was three hours. It was like, okay, this is what we do now. We just make long ass action movies. Right. And now bond, the last bond was two hours and 45 minutes long. And John wick four is two hours and 45 minutes long. And right. It's like, I like long movie. Like I don't mind a long movie, but it's just sort of, it's like, you're just pulling out all the stops for no reason to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't necessarily feel earned. Um, yeah. I think there was well, a I've, lot going on in this. I think this one earned it a little bit more than some of those other ones did, but yeah, you know, uh, I, well, I think of the ones I've mentioned and that we're talking about, I guess the only one that's actually completed the loop, so to speak, is the, that Avengers, Right, double. right. And I do think that one was successful, but I, I think so much of the success of that was that it wasn't really like just those two movies. It was the culmination yeah. of so much. So it felt okay to have like that sunken cost at the end of part one and be like, I'll come back for this. Yeah. And it wasn't like that bad a wait, you know. Right. That. They 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 set it up so that you really knew they were on top of putting out the next one. Yeah. And I also think that for that, it was kind of a surprise, right? Like you didn't know it was going to end that way. Uh, And they sort of shocked you with it. Whereas here they're blatantly saying this is part one. So just remember that there is a part two like that. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of like you knew that that other movie was coming, but you didn't know it was going to be so like 
right. up in the air yeah, yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Exactly. I agree with that. Um, um, yeah. And I mean, I guess the Dune thing, like I've never been able to get through the Dune books as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess if you've read those, like it makes total sense. But as a movie goer, and that's the way I'm right. consuming this, I'm right. like, Ugh. all yeah. of this was so well made. I don't like, I just want to feel like I left with something yeah. a little more solid, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I agree. But I, and, and I guess I wonder also if this is like one of those things that's sort of cyclical and makes sense that it's happening in a way, not saying it's justified mm-hmm. necessarily, but like in the same way that so many movies went big and epic in the 50s mm-hmm. because they were like, well, television. We have right. to compete with that bullshit uh, right. and get people to come, come out of their home and actually invest some time and money rather than sit on their couch for free and watch that. Yeah. You know, and uh, th- like, that's what we're, that's the state we're at with streaming and stuff. Like you can watch so much and so many movies are going straight to streaming that would have never done that yeah. 10, 20 years ago that like you really have to motivate someone to, to, to make that leap of like paying what has become such an expensive yeah. cost to go see a movie yeah, for so yeah, many yeah. people in so many places. Right. Um, and like, I guess the thinking is like, if we're going to get them out here, we want to give them everything at once right. while we got them, right. you know, and people, and you want to make people feel like they got their money's worth. Yeah. Um, but then you have like, you still have the, the, little movie that comes out sometimes and like you're like that was worth it and i like yeah. seeing that with the crowd you know well look at i mean maverick was two hours long you know like yeah i, I mean was it only two hours i don't maybe remember it was a little that. more yeah. but it wasn't three sure and sure. fair enough it was and i wouldn't and even though a lot happens in it and there's a lot of action i wouldn't say that it's bloated in any way right uh so uh, yeah i think there's a way you can do it that is just not uh, doesn't have that feeling of of excess mm-hmm. um but you know i i like dune i loved this i mean mission possible has gotten to the point it's similar to how i am with the bond movies where it's like you really can do no wrong for me like i'm just <laughs> not going to dislike it um and i have a lot of faith in Macquarie and Cruz to put something really cool in front of me right it's just that sometimes they do it in a way that i just think fallout was such a surprise for a lot of people myself included yeah. where it's like i can't believe you guys made like that great a movie <laughs> yeah uh, and it, it's even that like i think it was just, there was two rounds of surprise i thought mm-hmm. cuz first off you know, I, I think that people had that similar feeling of what you're describing of being like, can they really do this? Yeah. Can they accomplish what they're setting out to do? Mm-hmm. And then like the first reviews were like so glowing. I was like, there's no way it can be that good. Yeah. You know, it set the expectations so high. And then I went and saw the movie. I was like, fuck yeah. They <laughs> yeah. did it. <laughs> right, right. They, they were right. Yeah. Um, so that's rare. Yeah. That is so rare. It is. Yeah. It is. But yeah. And we're not um, really there, there was- on this one, but that's okay. But yeah, but it's. I think that is largely because of the part one ness of it. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Do you have a favorite sequence? I guess off the top of my head, I'd say the train stuff. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, part of it was like it was reminiscent of the very first movie. Right, right, for sure. And then, like I mentioned in the review, it reminded me of like Buster Keaton's The General, right, in a way, right, of right. like this old train going over an exploded bridge. Yeah. Um, and the I was like cackling in the best possible way mm-hmm. when they were like running up all those train cars one after one. Oh yeah, yeah. Once that once that set off, I was just like, "This is fucking amazing." Yeah, that <laughs> was cool. This. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, I really and liked that. So entertaining. Yeah. So back to the the point though of um, Macquarie. Yeah. And his run, I agree. Like it's been so good. Mm-hmm. There is a part of me, though, that, like, wonders, it, like, was it ever possible for this series to be what it originally seemed to be set up to be mm-hmm. by Tom Cruise himself mm-hmm. as the producer and star of this franchise of, like, having 
A-list directors on everyone. That's what I mean. Right. He really only did it on the first two when you get down to it, like yeah. having an auteur come in, right? Uh, with Brian De Palma on one mm-hmm. and John Woo on two, and then he went to like TV guy, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> JJ Abrams at that time, yeah, yeah, and arguably still, um, yeah, uh, on three, and it's been like. What was it? it was Brad, Brad Bird, Bird on, on four. Yeah, and but Macquarie wrote that one, right? Am I wrong in that? No, remember. he didn't. He didn't. Okay, no. so Macquarie came after that. Yeah, and it's been his his ship since. Yeah. Um, but like, do you think this could have ever actually worked in that mold, uh, or or not? Did it need somebody who's like the seeming partner, creative partner mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise, who he trusts and can kind of rely on to to get the vision down? Yeah, I think it I think it could have worked. There's a great so there's a great if you love Mission Possible and want to get real granular, there's a great podcast called Light the Fuse. Um and they go deep and they like do interviews with people and there's a whole episode about Oliver Stone's Mission Impossible 2 which never got made. Um oh, really? yeah. And um so I think he could have done it. It 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 could have gone in that direction. I think ultimately that that the second one was John Woo and it was so dramatically different from the first, kind of put the kibosh on it. Yeah, just upended it. Yeah. And I think also a lack of like auteur directors kind of also That's true. Uh keeps that from happening. I mean you know, who would you, Quentin Tarantino? Like, like who would you have be the the person? I mean, um, he wanted to do Bond so bad. Yeah. They wouldn't have. I know. And yeah, and I think, and rightfully so, because he would just like make it super violent and yeah, no. throw the N-word in there somewhere. And uh, <laughs> as, as he's want to do. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, I don't know who it would be. I don't know who they, how they would keep that, keep that going. I feel like the whole thing is very serendipitous in a way because it seemed like after two, I mean, it took forever for two to come out and then two was like so crazy different. And then it was like, all right, I guess that's that. And then three and three was like, okay, that was cool, but whatever. <laughs> and then four was like, you know, this is this is pretty good. Like this is, yeah. this is working. And then yeah. he meets McQuarrie on Valkyrie and they just like hit it off. And it's like, it's in the stars, you know? Right. <laughs> I think that's right. just kind of how it, how it happens. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a world in which it could have worked, but like it would have just been so different. You know, yeah, because I I do think they they wouldn't have been able to keep that through line that they've established at this right. point, even kind of retrospectively. I think some of that was like, as we've kind of talked about, mm-hmm. I think earlier, like manufactured after the fact of saying right. like, oh, that thing that happened before. Now we're saying it's because of this, or we're building. Oh yeah, totally, that, you know? totally. But um, like I could imagine a world where like Danny Boyle did oh, yeah. one in the in the early two thousand or in the two thousands or something, sure. and then. More recently, like maybe um, Ryan Coogler or something oh, like sure. that, you know, like there there are people out there. But I, I, I do think you're right that the auteur is not as prevalent as as it once was. Right. The idea of having that or or it's just changed in a way. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's also we have to remember that they're, you know, it's based on a TV show and. I feel I don't know to what I've never watched the TV show. I remember when I was young before two. So this is in between one and two. So I'm a young lad. And this guy was talking to me about Mission Impossible. And I was like, I really like Mission Impossible. And he's like, did you ever see Star Trek one? And I said, yes. And uh, in Star Trek one, for those who don't know, there's like this shitty, like, annoying character who challenges captain Kirk throughout the movie. And he's like what they did in mission impossible by killing everyone and having Cruz be the main guy is like if they did star Trek one and that dude 
became the captain and they killed everybody else. <laughs> so I always remember that as like, there's, you know, these, I wonder about these sort of super fans of the show and, right. and the legacy of how the movie just like totally blew up whatever the show was. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they, I mean, Macquarie seems like the kind of guy who would be into the show and maybe there's like Easter eggs and stuff like that in the movies yeah, yeah. that I don't know about, but right. It's just always funny to remember that this is like more than just the movies. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember, I, I think I saw an episode or two when I was very young and mm. could not tell you a damn thing about the show at this point. Yeah. But I, I do remember seeing the first mission impossible in theaters mm -hmm. and even without that like base knowledge of what the property was before. Right. I was sort of like, Oh wow. He just kills everyone. It's just like, <laughs> I thought this was like a team. Right. 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 And they, they basically kill the team off in the first, like what, 15 minutes yeah. or something. Yeah. And then it's like guy on the run. Right. Um, I, I was, I was kind of surprised by that and mm -hmm. sort of like, what, what could this have been instead of this? Yeah. Um, I think it's ended up in a good place. And Anytime I've gone back to part one, I enjoy it more now than I did then. I don't yeah. know how much of that is because of what's been built on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard uh, to the, say. the Star Trek thing is interesting. I mean, <laughs> yeah. There's a whole thing I could get into on that that like we don't have to. Do <laughs> <laughs> right. I just um, always remember yeah. him telling me that. And I was like, so for a for a for a 13 year old, I was like, whoa. Well, thank you, Chuck. It's been Welcome. fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Stereoactive Presents, and thank you to our guest, Charles Henshaw. The music in this podcast is composed by Hansdale Sue. My name is Jeremiah McVeigh. If you like what you hear in the show, please rate and review it in Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that allows that. Doing so helps us to expand our audience, and it's much appreciated. And please follow us wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Every little bit helps us grow our audience. You can also get in touch with us at stereoactivemedia at gmail.com, and you can find more information about this show and everything else that Stereoactive Media is involved with at stereoactivemedia.com. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. 